Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you out loud, along with the welcomers for a half a million dollars came in for that special offering for the South Campus. We were praying for a million, and you gave us a half a million now, and I thank you. Thank you for it, and pray that alongside the $1.85 million that's needed in these four remaining Sundays of this year for the budget and mission of this church, you do another half million for that South Campus. And now, Lord, speak to us. We need your voice. Man shall not live by bread alone, by money alone. Man shall live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Make me faithful to your inspired word, I pray. To the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of your people, and the advancement of your cause in the world, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. One of the most precious, memorable, everybody knows it, scenes of Christmas in the Bible is the angel showing up and making the announcement to the shepherds that a Savior has been born in Bethlehem. And then the next verse says, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying two things. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So God appointed a a great host of angelic armies to make two things crystal clear about the coming of Jesus. Jesus has come into the world, the Son of God has come into the world to make God look glorious and to reconcile men who are alienated from God back into peace with God. These two great purposes, the angels make crystal clear, the incarnation, the coming of the Son of God into humanity is about the glory of God and about the rescue of sinners. So, when you come to today's text, Jesus is talking, and the hour of his dying is just there. We're not surprised, are we, that we would find him praying this very thing. Namely, Father, glorify your name now as I walk through my hour. So let's read that. Starting in John 12, verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. And we know that he's talking about the hour of his death because just a few verses earlier he had said, unless a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, 
it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's what this hour is about. A great fruit-bearing dying of the seed, Jesus. So, what shall I say? Save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. That's why I've come. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there heard it, thought it thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. So verse 27, second half of the verse. Are we there? For this purpose I have come to this hour. What purpose? Father, glorify your name. That's why my death approaches. The Father hears his prayer. And in verse 28, last half of the verse, he says, I have glorified it. And I will glorify it again. I have just glorified it in raising Lazarus from the dead. Remember that language? You will see my glory, Mary, believe me. And I will now glorify it again in my son's death and resurrection. Now, don't miss something here. This is one of the things we love to see and savor at Bethlehem. Namely, God's own commitment to glorify God. The text doesn't just say that Jesus prayed for God to glorify God. He did. Let's say it again, verse 28. Father, you glorify your name. You do that. Do that, Father. Hallowed be your name. Now, as I go to the cross, make your name great in my dying and rising. That's what he's asking God to do. He's asking God to do that for God. Don't miss that. And not only does he have Jesus praying that God would glorify God, he has God saying that he's going to glorify God. Verse 28, second half of the verse. I have glorified my name and I will glorify it again. Let me say this very clearly. The deepest reason why we Christians live for the glory of God is because God lives for the glory of God. We are passionate about God's glory because God is passionate about God's glory. And what makes that such good news, especially in the Gospel of John, is that his glory is full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his, what? Glory, full of grace 
and truth. And from that fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Oh, yes, make much of your glory so that it will be so full it will spill over on me with what I need. And what I need is grace and truth. The most glorious thing about God is that he is so fully and completely self-sufficient that the glory of his fullness overflows in truth and grace toward his creatures. He doesn't need you. He is so full, he can overflow for you. I hope you get that. God is committed to upholding and magnifying and displaying the glory of God. And it is all grace to those who love it. If you want your own glory instead, that's what you will get. Everything God does, he does to display his glory. And in this text, there are four magnificent things that God magnifies and glorifies as his activity in and through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we want to look at those. I'll mention the four, then we'll look at them briefly one at a time. Number one. God glorifies himself by judging the world in Jesus. Number two, God glorifies himself by casting out the ruler of this world through Jesus. Number three, God glorifies himself by drawing all his sheep to himself through Jesus. And fourth, God glorifies himself by shining as the light of the world in those who believe in Jesus. Let's look at them now in the text. Number one, God glorifies himself by judging the world in the cross of Christ. Verse 31, first half of the verse. Now is the judgment of this world. Now, now. Not just at the end of history. Everybody thinks, oh, there's a judgment day coming. True. It's now. Now is this world judged. And the now is the now of the cross, the hour. The seed falling into the ground and dying is the judgment of the world. Now, what does that mean? Let me read you three passages from John about the judgment. And when I'm done reading them, you'll have the pieces to put it together. And I'll put it together for you. John 5, 27. God has given Jesus authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. So judgment is going to happen through Jesus. Second text, 
John 5, 28. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So there is a future judgment. At the resurrection of all people from the dead, good and evil, there will be a judgment. Third, John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, has eternal life. And he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. This is awesome. Those who trust in Christ, according to John 5, 24, those who trust in Christ to reconcile them to God won't come into judgment. Why? They've already come into judgment. Where? In Christ on the cross. They were judged. I am crucified with Christ. I have died for my sins in Christ. That's it. The sentence rendered, guilty. The punishment given, death. It's over. I won't go through it again. This is glorious. God, glorify your name in this. When did the judgment happen? Verse 31, chapter 12. Now is the judgment of this world in the death of Jesus. In other words, the death of Jesus becomes the the decisive dividing line in humanity between the condemned and the vindicated. Everyone who believes in Jesus is united to Jesus and is punished in Jesus. And their judgment is over. They will not come into judgment. And if you reject Jesus offering himself to you tonight, today, if you reject him till you're dead, you will come into judgment and there will be no recourse. Now is the decisive judgment. Even in this service, the line is drawn. Union with Christ, dead with him, judgment past. Reject Christ, enter judgment, punishment forever. This is why he came. This is the best news in all the world. The judgment has come. And he sent him into the world in mortal flesh so that he could be condemned, so that he could die for us. That's number one. God glorifies himself by bringing the final judgment into history. 
so that the Son can bear the sentence of all who are in him. Glory to God, peace to men. Come to Christ, pass from death to life, never come into judgment. I'm glad I'm a Christian. You don't have to be afraid of, ve- of death. You could die right now, just drop dead in this pulpit, and you say, Hallelujah, home free, no judgment. John's home. Wouldn't that be great? Probably not. <laughs> Looking at my wife and daughter. Got a little bit to do yet before I go, maybe. Number two, God glorifies himself by casting out the ruler of this world, Satan. Now we're still in verse 31. A lot in this verse. Now is the judgment of this world. Now, now in this dying moment, will the ruler of this world be cast out? So, in what sense? was Satan cast out by the death of Jesus. You got that worked out in your head? Cast out. Out of what? He's still here, right? I mean, Ephesians 6 tells us to put on the whole armor of God because we got war on our hands. So he's not gone yet, He was cast out when Jesus died. So what does that mean? We know from chapter 14, verse 30, that Jesus said this right as the end was drawing near. The ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but... I do as the Father has commanded me. He's coming. He's coming. How? What what was that? Chapter 12, chapter 13, verse 27. Satan entered into Judas. Okay, so here's how I put it together. Satan hates what is about to happen here. He will undo this liberation, this Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15, deliverance from his hands. He will undo this. If he can do anything, he will undo this. And so he will make these final hours so horrible, so excruciating, so alienating, that if any means possible, he could get this son of man not to obey And that would undo everything. Yes, I will get him to disobey. And and Jesus says, but I do as the Father has commanded me. And he did not disobey. Praise God. Thank you for glorifying your name in the obedience of your son to the end. So Satan failed. He failed in his final decisive attempt to stop what? To stop what? His disarming. What disarming? He had only one lethal weapon in his hand. My sin. 
With that, he could send me to hell. In the courtroom of heaven, he could present it to the judge and say, this man deserves hell. Here are the evidences. And he doesn't have it in his hand anymore. The, the, this hour is the hour of Jesus bearing all the sins of his people so that Satan can't do anything to them anymore of any eternal consequence. Cast out of what? Perhaps the courtroom. Here he is, the great accuser, right? From the beginning. Accuse, 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 accuse. In this courtroom, that accusation is silenced. You're out of here. Out there, you can rough them up. You can rough them up. But in here, I have rendered a verdict, and the verdict is, in Jesus, not guilty. Number three, God glorifies himself in drawing all his sheep to Jesus. Now, this is controversial, and I'll let you know I'm taking a position unusual, and you should really check it out, okay? Because when your pastor teaches something that doesn't look like it's there in the text and uh, a lot of other people say something different, you should say, hmm, (laughs) I like John's ideas usually, but this seems, hmm. So I'm going to make my case and uh, lay it before you, and then you go test all things and hold fast to what what is good. Here's the text, verse 32. And I, when I am lifted up, Jesus says, when I am lifted up, meaning on the cross, from the earth, will draw, and the text says, all people to myself. And I told you the main point was he will draw all the sheep to himself. So I'm not going to believe what you say, Piper, because it says all people right there in the text. It might mean, it might mean that when Christ is lifted up, with clarity in preaching. There is a general drawing of all people. Some come, some don't, but all are drawn. Might mean that. I wouldn't, you know, call that heresy. It might mean he draws all kinds of people. I read one commentary that says that. He draws all kinds of people. And I'm going to argue for just a minute or two, that he means when Jesus is lifted up, he draws all the elect, all the children of God, all the sheep to himself, without fail, invincibly, and overcomes every resistance. Now, why in the world would I say that? Here are my five reasons just quickly. Number one, the word people is not in the text. The word is simply all. All what is open. Might be all sheep. Might be all people. Might be all the children. Just says all. I will draw all to myself. Number two, the word draw 
is the same as chapter 6, verse 44, where it says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So if the sense is similar, then the drawing is effective. It overcomes opposition. It's not a drawing that's everybody and half come and half don't. When you're drawn, you come. The other uses are the hauling of fish into the net. The word is used five times in this, in this book, and it's used of you throw a net, you haul a fish in. Number three, this is what Jesus said he would do for the sheep for whom he died. John ten sixteen. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. He's going to do that. He's going to bring all of his sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold, this Jewish fold. I'm going to gather my sheep. Wherever the gospel is preached, I'm going to gather my sheep. Infallibly, invincibly, I'm drawing my sheep to myself. That's what John 10, 16 says. They will come. Number four. The death of Jesus does not draw all people to him. It didn't draw Judas. He looked at the cross. He knew the Savior. And he didn't come. He wasn't drawn. In fact, Judas' unbelief is what's in mind in John 6.65 where Jesus says... This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by my Father, because Judas didn't come. Number five, the use of the term all in this text, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all to myself, is used elsewhere of his own. Listen to John 6.37, All that the Father gives to me will come to me. Why wouldn't that be the all in this text? All that the Father gives me will come to me. They will come because I infallibly draw them. That's why they come. Why wouldn't we opt for that all instead of sticking in the word people? Or John 17, 2 The Son gives eternal life to all whom you have given to him. So, end of argument. I commend it to you for your consideration. God multiplies the way he gets glory in the death of his Son. Not only does he lift his Son up so that whoever believes on him might have eternal life, John 3.16, Everyone who believes on him, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes on him might not perish but have eternal life. That's what God achieved in lifting up Jesus. Whoever believes will have life in his name. That's one great achievement. And the other great achievement is in that death, God designs to draw infallibly and invincibly all who belong to him to faith. 
God, glorify your name in gathering your children, your sheep, those who've appointed to eternal life, all who believe in you. And finally, number four, God glorifies himself by shining as the light of the world in the lives of those who believe in Jesus. I'm looking at verse 36. While you have the light, namely Jesus, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. So, if this text hasn't been personal to you yet, now it gets personal. We have just three or four minutes to go. Now it gets really personal. Do you believe Jesus? Do you believe in the light? While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. God's glory is revealed in and through Jesus and his work so that we might receive it as our supreme treasure. Do you? Do you? Now, in Advent, are you receiving God, the glory of God, the beauty of God, the greatness of God, the grandeur of God, the grace of God, the truth of God, the mercy of God, the grace and justice and eternality and omnipotence and omniscience, all that God is for us in Jesus? Are you receiving it and saying, that's my treasure? It is revealed supremely in the death of Jesus because in him the world is judged, because in him Satan is cast out, because in him is the homecoming of all believers. So here are my three questions for you. Does your heart say, does your heart say, I believe my judgment is over? because of Jesus, and I will not come into judgment. Did your heart say that? Second, does your heart say, Satan has no claim on me? He has been cast out of the courtroom of my vindication, and he can never, ever destroy me. Did your heart say that? Are you embracing Jesus for that? This is what faith is. Receiving Jesus for that. Third, does your heart say, I believe Christ purchased me when he died for me. He bought me. He secured me. He invincibly paid for my debt and drew me to himself. That's what he obtained certainly for me when he died. That's why I came. 
if you believe. Verse 36 says, you don't just see the light of Christ, you become the light of Christ. Isn't that what it means when it says, while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. What would that mean, son of light? Little, little rabbits are born from rabbits and little turtles are born from turtles and little colts are born from colts and light is born from light. If you're a son of light, you've got the DNA of light. The Bible didn't know anything about DNA. God knew. Biblical writers, they know about DNA. But had they known, you've got DNA of light in you. Which means you're the light of the world, Jesus said. Jesus is in you. Jesus is shaping you after his own image, as sinful and imperfect as you and I are. We're not just watching the light. When you believe, you take the light into you. And God is getting glory through you. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. From beginning to end, God is glorifying himself in the work of Christ. So I'll just say it one more time. While you have the light, and he is presenting himself to you in this service right now, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. This is the word of Jesus to you. It's the word of Jesus to you and the promise of Jesus. And so on this second Sunday of Advent, it is great mercy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, glorify your name now in this room. South, downtown, north. Thank you that our judgment is past. Thank you that Satan has no claim on us. Thank you that you drew us to yourself. And thank you that we saw the light and have become children of the light. In Jesus' name, amen.